0: Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to The Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find Jesus and follow Him. Today, as we're focusing on prayer once again, Uh, I titled this message, A Prayer for Mental Health. Not because it was my idea, but it's actually something that Jesus said. All right, a prayer for mental health. Now, obviously, that is a term that I'm sure we have all familiar with, right? Mental health issues and this and that, and a lot of it is complicated. Like, this is not something that is uh, just a one, you know, a one-stop shop kind of a thing. You know, it has like one little solution because it is such an umbrella term that I mean, th- there could be chemical things, physical things that can happen, but um, and then there's just some that are just really deep down. Right, there's these deep issues that that reflect in our physical nature. And so it, it is such a big deal. And I, I also, also believe too as well our diet doesn't help. Right, so much of our stuff is synthetic that I think we have a lot of misfires in our own body because we're not getting enough nutrients. Like I think of a lot of our issues if we just all took more naps, drank more water, and ate some vitamins, I think we'd all feel a little better. And so that's just the reality of it. But I know for others, it can be a little bit more complicated. But there is something that Jesus spoke to this. Because for a lot of people, what they consider to be a, a mental health crisis, it's really an identity crisis, which turns into this high anxiety and high this and high that that controls you. Because the identity crisis is this thing, in which people cannot ask or answer two simple questions. Who am I? Who am I? And why do I live? Why do I exist? Those two answers are at the root of a lot of people's issues because they don't know who they are. And the world constantly is providing and promoting and offering this. You know, you do you and you do that and this and that. And constantly, let us affirm you, affirm you, affirm you. And something still doesn't seem to fill them. Because we are not called to be affirmed. That There is a truth that you and I are called to affirm. There's a truth that we're called to affirm. But the reason why I really believe that there's such an you know, identity crisis and mental health crisis in so many, it's because you are realizing this truth that the things of this world are not enough. I mean, C.S. Lewis said it best. I love whenever I get a chance to throw this quote out, I do. C.S. Lewis said this. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I love that. And I'm, and I'm here to tell you that's the reality. If you are sick of like, you know what, I've tried it all, I've given it all, and nothing is enough. Well, I want to have you consider then what if, if the things of this world is not enough, then maybe there was something else for you. And no, not aliens or anything like that. Don't go that far on me, okay? Don't go that far on me. But there's something there. There is something there. In fact, Jesus himself... Spoke on this. We're not going to read the verse, but in Matthew chapter six, verses twenty-five and thirty-four, um, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about fear and anxiety. You can read it later, Matthew six twenty-five through thirty-four. He talks about these things and says, "Listen, don't worry about your life." I know you got a lot dealing with and you're thinking about this and you got, you know, the clothes that you wear, the food and all of this stuff. And God and Jesus throughout the whole time is saying, listen, don't worry. Remember who God is. You know, know, he always pulls it back to you're worrying about it because you're forgetting who God is. You're worrying about it because you forget, again, the identity of who is God. It's not so much who am I. When you answer the question, who is God, and when you can grow in that, you get to learn about who you are. And so he says, listen, don't worry about those things. Remember your God. Don't worry about these things. Look who God is. Don't worry about these things. And then he eventually says these things. He says, listen, your father knows. Your father knows your needs. And then in verse 33, he says, but instead of worrying, which by the way, it doesn't mean, I want you guys to know that worry necessarily isn't a sin. It's an emotion. We all can fear and we all can have uh, fear and worry. But the reality is that we don't want it to have us. It's one thing to have it. It's another thing to have us. Right. I think Tony Evans says worry and, and, and worry is like a rocking chair that it, you you'd use a lot of energy to go and move. But you don't go anywhere. Right. And so the idea is that if you worry, what do you do with that worry? If you're afraid, where do you go with that fear? And here he's trying to say you go to God with those things. So when you catch yourself this, he says this instead of just staying and wallowing in your worry. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. So instead of worrying, seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be provided for you. Not the things that you want, the things that you need. But I thought that's an interesting thing. Where in Jesus, when he's saying when you have fear and anxiety and you don't know what to do and what decision to make, he says, hey, what should you do first? He didn't say necessarily don't worry, but what should you do first? Seek first the kingdom. And see, the thing is, is that I believe that a lot of people that we have this identity crisis and some self-inflicted wounds of mental health issues because the problem, especially when it comes to our prayers, which we've been noticing as we've been talking about this last couple of weeks, we are more self-centered with our prayers than we are comfortable with recognizing. And that's the problem. The problem even with our prayers is that our prayers tend to be more concerned with the things of this world rather than the things of God. And that can cause a lot of unnecessary anxiety. Listen, life is hard as is, right? Let's not make it any harder, okay? Let's not make it any harder. And so when we consider ourselves, when we put too much focus and we worry about the things of this world, instead of being worried about the things of God, we're going to be off. It's going to throw everything off. And so I'm going to present the idea that praying that God's kingdom comes is more important than we think because it alters a lot of stuff. And so as we're looking at the the Lord's Prayer, that's what we're looking at today, all right? We're just chopping this up. Last week we talked about, right? Our Heavenly Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, or your name be honored as holy. Today we got a really, really short um, Bible verse. Can we put it on the screen? Let's all read it together. Your kingdom come. Online, I want you to type that out. Your kingdom come. That's the next one, right? Lord, may your name be honored as holy. And what is next? Your kingdom come. Now, when Jesus provides this prayer to his disciples, remember, guys, it's a model. It's a pattern. And Jesus didn't just say things random. When you look at Luke and when you look at Matthew, the order is the same. He says, may your kingdom come. All right. That is the next thing after may your name be honored as holy. And so what does this mean? This is what we're going to really linger on. Because Jesus says, hey, you should pray, your kingdom come. So how many of us have prayed and we don't know what that means? And so let's really get, uh, and maybe you do know, but let's go back and really expand on that, okay? Because if Jesus said you should pray like this, then hey, let's figure that out because it is really, really important because he said so. So we're going to answer really three quick questions and we're going to really go at those three words. Let's focus on the your first, okay? When it says your kingdom come, We're going to answer the question, whose kingdom is this? All right, as we're starting at praying, Lord, may your kingdom come. We already see the answer there, right? Whose kingdom is this, guys? It's not ours, for sure, right? To say yours means it's not ours. So there's already this posture of surrender, of submission, of trust to the Lord. Lord, may your kingdom come. And the your is really important there. In fact, Jesus himself said when he was in John chapter 18, we see... Jesus had been arrested and he is standing before Pilate and he is on trial for apparently doing some things, right? The Jewish leaders had, had falsely accused him of some stuff. He's about to be crucified and Jesus is on trial. And it's Pontius Pilate is asking him these things. So are you a king? Because uh, he's asking all this interrogating questions, right? And the irony is that Jesus flips the script on Pilate And Pilate thinks that Jesus is on trial. He doesn't realize very soon that it is really Pilate who is the one on trial by the king of kings himself. As Jesus starts asking him questions, and Jesus starts helping him to process these things, he turns the table on him. But in one of those things, he says, are you a king? And eventually Jesus says, yes. And my kingdom, he says, if those of you may know it, but I'll just help you if you've never read it. He says, my kingdom is not of this world, for if it was, you know, my, my people would be overthrowing this and this and that. So my kingdom, I have a kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. And I am here to testify for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world. It was to testify to the truth. What is the truth was the question, right? But to testify to the truth of who is God? What is this world like? The truth about the world, the truth about God, the truth about ourselves. That is what Jesus came to do. And so notice he says, yes, I have a kingdom. I have a kingdom. We're going to talk about later, what does it mean that it is not of this world. That'll be another, uh, that's another sermon for later this year. But I want us to not lose sight of this one thing. Already look at the beginning. When Jesus says, pray like this, we have two identity factors. We have God our Father, who is also a what? A king. And, and there's a lot, that, that's where I encouraged you last week, guys. Hey, you can pray God your Father all day long, but listen. We all know how to finagle our dads, right? We all know how to finagle parents and finesse them all day, okay? Remember, he's your father, but he's also the king. And that is something that we need to remember. He is a king, and this is his kingdom, his world, right? This is, this is his world, we're just living in it, right? This is, this is what it is, this is his world. And the kingdom is not a democracy. The kingdom is not a democratic republic like we have here in the United States right? It's not that. The kingdom is not even an independent city-state. Do you guys know? Fun fact for you. So if you ever win a contest for this, split the proceeds with me, please. Um, Do you guys know the, the smallest country in the world? Fun fact. Smallest country in the world. Yes. Smallest country in the world. Ready? The Vatican. The Vatican is this. Sm- Some of you, I'm pretty sure you were about to answer a question. And I'm glad you... Aren't you glad? I was like, I'm glad I stayed quiet. I'm glad I stayed quiet. I would have been wrong. And so the Vatican. Do you know that the Vatican is considered to be the smallest country in the world, a square mile of like two... Something like two miles, like nothing. And it is a, an independent city-state inside of Italy. It is its own country run by the king, which is the pope. It operates independent of everything else. Smallest country in the world. Now, guys, a lot of times, I think we tend to forget... And we try to live like independent city-states in the kingdom of God. You know, like, okay, we're, you know, they live inside of Italy, inside of the country of Italy, but they are their own country inside of a country. The kingdom of God does not have independent city-states inside of its own kingdom. He reigns supreme over all of it. All right? So we got to be careful because a lot of times we like to think that we can call our own shots, but we are not the king. He is. And But you got to remember, and what kind of king is he? This is to fill in your notes. He's a shepherd king shepherd king is one that we see all the time. He is not a cruel tyrant. He is not those kings that we see that is constantly, again, demanding and over-excessive and abusive. This is not the king of kings. He is not like that. He is a shepherd king. In fact, the word shepherd helps us to understand this because the scriptures always call even Christ himself the great shepherd. That, By the way, shepherd pastor, same word. All right. I'm not your pastor. I'm your, I'm your, I'm the under pastor to your pastor, Christ himself. My job as a pastor is make sure you understand the big guy. All right. He is your pastor. I feed you. He leads you. That's the game. That's what we do. Okay. That's what we do. I feed you. He leads you. And so the thing with this guy is he's a shepherd king. And now if you know anything about sheep and if you don't, I'm going to help you. Sheep are stubborn animals. Sheep are stubborn. But sheep are beautiful, and they're wonderful. But sheep can be very stubborn, and you have to be kind and loving with sheep. Sheep, You can't treat sheep like cattle, all right? You can't just drive sheep like that because sheep don't respond. They break down. And I want, I want you to help you because maybe some of you have this idea that God is more of a, of a cattle rancher than he is a shepherd. And that's a wrong mentality, wrong idea. He is a father shepherd king. He's not a cattle rancher, all right? He's not here in Florida. You know, you guys have heard of the term crackers before? And no, I'm not talking about white people, but you guys heard of crackers before? Okay? The word cracker is a Florida word. And the word cracker is one that comes from the ranchers in which they had these unique whips that they would crack, and that's how they would drive cattle. And so they were called crackers, all right? So that's a Florida thing. And so the thing, guys, is that is not God. Well, he's out here just. Walk, getting you to go and go and go no he is a father now if he is your father he's a good dad and he will discipline his children because he loves you but you never forget the fact that he loves you okay this is his kingdom but you got to understand how he likes to rule it he rules it with the mighty hand but in loving kindness as well This is not a heavy hand like we may think. He's not a cruel parent, a cruel tyrant. He is a shepherd king. This is his kingdom. So when you pray, may your kingdom come. You got to remember that is a prayer of surrender and submission. Now another one, let's look at the second word, your kingdom. So if the first one was asking, we were answering this question, whose kingdom is it? That was question number one, whose kingdom is it? Number two, okay, well, what is the kingdom like? What is the kingdom like? If we are to pray, may your kingdom come, wouldn't it be helpful for us to process and make sure we know what we're asking for, right? Are you just going to pull up to any restaurant without looking at the drive-thru and just say, just give me a number four, and you're not even going to know what the number four is? You know you're not going to do that. What if you're allergic to what's in the number four, right? And so you don't want to do that. And so if you're going to pray, may your kingdom come, let's have a good, under at least a, a better understanding of just what is this kingdom like? What is it? Now, the kingdom of God is, guys, is something that is actually a theme throughout Genesis to Revelation. Because the kingdom of God is really God's rule. And from the very beginning, there are two opposing kingdoms. We have the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and we have the kingdom of darkness. Those are the two opposing kingdoms in this world. Now, the kingdom of darkness was brought about because of man's sin that was introduced. But the whole book, this whole thing, literally is a story about the implementation and the advancement of the kingdom until the end. So it is a book about the kingdom, this whole thing. If you wanna know what is the kingdom like, then you gotta read this, all right? There's nuggets all up in here. But you know what's interesting is that the kingdom was so important, you know that it was Jesus' number one, I think it was his number one, uh, number, it was top, top two, top three, let me be safer, topics. Jesus preached about hell more than he did heaven, just so you know, because it's that real. Because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of, of darkness does matter. And Christ spoke of hell as one of the top, top, top things. And in that same context, he speaks on the kingdom of heaven. And so he literally, over and over again, he says the kingdom of God is like, 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 to try to paint a picture. Now, I'm going to show you, we're going to do a really quick summary. You can check this out later. I, can't, I challenge you to do it. But in Matthew 13, Jesus actually goes through like eight or nine parables in a row. And parables, they feel like riddles, but they're really God giving these word pictures so that we can visualize, not just understand. You know, sometimes wouldn't it be nice to be able to, God, God, can you just say it, bro? Just why play these games with me, right? I mean, you know, like I got to I gotta interpret you. I know husbands sometimes, you know, spouses, depending on who you are, you know, you have to like interpret the other person's, so just say it. Just tell me, why do I got to, you know, why do I got to figure this out, right? But, but then that takes the, the fun out of it too, you know. There's a little bit of a, of a discovery that has to work in there. But Jesus did this a lot. In fact, that he went through a sequence of the kingdom of God is like, and for some of us, you may read it and you're like, I wasted my life just now. Like, I just, I I don't know. So let me give you a quick synopsis, and you can dive in on this later. All right, so let's go to the first one. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a parable about the beginning of the kingdom. The beginning of the kingdom is when it says, the kingdom is God is like this. You have a farmer who throws seeds all throughout the world, and it lands on four types of soil. Three of the types of soil, it really doesn't take, but it does in one. And so that is a parable about the beginning of the kingdom. And he shows like why some people struggle to receive the kingdom message. Why people struggle to receive it. Number one is because some people, their hearts are too hard. They won't, they don't care. For others, they receive it, but their faith is too shallow. Still very self-centered. And so it doesn't take root. Others, if they receive it, but the worry of this world chokes out the life and they don't get to experience the joy of it and and then there's the others that do receive it and produce much fruit but that is a parable about how the kingdom begins and how does it begin because God is the one who spreads all the seeds and that's what's been happening listen from the very beginning in genesis as god has been speaking and writing and and those have been capturing these this is nothing but a bag of seeds right here guys a, this is a book of a bag of seeds and god just literally just speaking and showing and revealing right here this is what it is but that's that shows about that's a story about the beginning of the kingdom and then he goes into a couple parables to talk about the opposition to the kingdom this is in uh, 13 Verses 24 through 43, this is, uh, number one, he says, the parable of the wheat and the the weeds. This is a parable of the opposition to the kingdom, meaning the wheat represents Christians and the, the weeds represent false Christians. That as the kingdom of God expands, you are going to see true Christians grow next to fake ones. And God knows the difference. And and so we got to be cautious about that. The wheat, you know, if you're a believer, you're the wheat. And you got to make sure that we are not being deceived by those who claim to be Christians and, and speak on his name, but they are not. And so that is a parable about the opposition to the kingdom. And then he says one, this one's an interesting one about the mustard seed and leaven. Maybe for some of you, if you're a Christian, you've probably heard of Jesus say, faith is like a mustard seed. Right, if you only had faith the size of a mustard seed, so it's very easy for us to think mustard seed faith. Oh, he's talking about us. But one uh, one interpretation that really that I see here that's in in line with this is that the mustard seed here is not speaking of the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God looks like this. Like these are the things that are involved. So the wheat and the weeds are false Christians, right? You have false Christians and um, that grow up with it. The 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 one of the parable of the seeds, this one, the mustard seed, is of false. A false Christian growth, because it says here that it started out a small seed and it grew into a big plant, and all of the birds of the air can live and have shelter inside of this tree. Well, see, this is what the enemy does, where he presents something that looks Christ-like, Christianese, that looks like the truth, and it grows to a certain point that, by the way, birds of the air is, is, some, is, is allegory for uh, demons. And demonic doctrine so there can be a form of Christian growth that looks Christian but it's full of a bunch of birds that make their home inside of it so do you see the opposition we're not just talking about false Christians on the individual we're talking about false Christian movements that could happen in opposition to the kingdom of God so look at this guys the kingdom of darkness actually just tries to pretend to be a kingdom of light the whole time but it's not and then there's another one so we have the opposite we have the beginning of the kingdom we have the opposition to the kingdom and then we have parables talking about the outcome of the kingdom oh by the way I'm sorry there was one that I missed about leaven. The same thing. Leaven was not just false Christians, false growth, but false doctrine. That's what leaven is. Jesus would use that a lot. Just like yeast, you put a little bit of yeast in dough. I don't know if anybody likes to make bread, but you guys know how that works, right? Just a little yeast, like, distorts the dough. And so just a little bit of lies can distort your soul. And you have to be very conscious of those things. And so here we see the opposition of the kingdom is is a lot. It could look crazy, but in the end, he gives a parable about what is it going to look like in the end? And the outcome of the kingdom is found in chapter 13, verses 44 and 50, when he gives a parable of a hidden treasure, a priceless pearl, and of a net. Now, a lot of us, I've done this, and so there's a truism to this, so um, I may bother some of you. Have you ever heard of this? There's a parable that says uh, the, the kingdom of God is like somebody who found a buried treasure. And he found it, sold everything he had, and bought the land so he can have the treasure for himself. Or the kingdom of God is a a precious pearl that somebody found. That when they found it, they sold all they had to be able to obtain the pearl so they can have it. Have you ever heard it said like Jesus is the treasure and Jesus is the pearl and we need to give everything to be able to get Jesus? Have you heard of that one before? Now is there a truism to that? There's a truism to the point that there is a cost to following Christ, yes. There is a cost to following Christ. But what if I told you, you just switched the characters in those parables? That, that's not what Jesus, was, the point he was trying to make. Because is Jesus buried treasure? Is Jesus hidden and that we have to go find him? Who's the one doing the seeking? He is. He is the one seeking us. We are the ones who are buried under sin and death. And it is Christ who redeems us. It is Christ who, when found us, gave up everything into the point of his very life to redeem and to capture something for himself. This is not a story about how great God is that we need to go get him. No, this is a story about how great God is that he has come to get us. Do you see how that's more beautiful? In fact, the buried treasure, some say it represents Israel. Because here we, they, they buy the land and, and is you know, God's chosen people that, that God has done. The pearl, some say, represent Christians. And that, you know, we, we are, are developed under the, you know, the difficulty and friction of this world. And so God not only is going to read, he's going to make himself a people from his chosen people. And from those that are not Jews. I'm not, so praise God he made room for me. And so he's going to make himself a new people of these two things. And then the parable of the net was an interesting one. He says, and the kingdom of God is going to be like this, where the fisherman throws his net out of the ocean and grabs all kinds of fish. And then he decides which fish is good, which fish is bad. And the bad he tosses back into the sea. The sea always represents chaos and darkness, um, judgment, really. And so here we see, this is the ending parable. And it's a whole thing of this is how the, op- the, the kingdom of God is going to be, it's, it's going to begin, and it's going to be opposed, but in the end, God's kingdom is going to be the one who will reign because when the time comes, when Jesus returns, he can tell the difference. He can sort between those who truly believed and those who didn't. He can tell the difference. And just listen, Jesus is going to be 100% accurate. He's not going to let one fall through the crack. Amen to that. You know, could you imagine you like in heaven, you know, in hell's like, why is he there? He's supposed to be, oh my gosh, send somebody quickly. Go get him. I was like, I'm so sorry. You know, like, you know, we don't have to deal with that. God don't miss. He's not going to miss one. And so this is the parable that the outcome of the kingdom is going to be what? The kingdom of darkness is going to be nothing. And the kingdom of God will reign supreme. In fact, Jesus said that the gates of hell will not even stand against the advancement of the kingdom of God. Meaning, listen, this is a train that's coming. Ain't no one stopping it. Not even the devil himself. Whatever he can do ain't going to work. That's good news for us. That's, that's good news for us. But you see, that's what the kingdom is. It's this battle between truth and lies. But it's really, it's, it's one-sided, guys. I'm sorry. Like, this is like a toddler trying to pick a fight with me. It ain't going to take long, okay? Listen, it's not going to take long. A toddler against me, it's not going to take long, okay? It, this is even worse, like, to compare the devil and, and that kingdom to God. It's even worse than that. I mean, it's so unbalanced. It's so unbalanced. But what I, what, I, what I look through all of this, and what do we see when Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this? And so what is all this advancement? I mean, what is it? And, and really, it's this one thing. It comes down to it. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God ultimately like? It's a relationship with the king. That is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is a relationship with the king. Those who received the the seeds at the beginning and produced fruit, it's because there is a life-giving relationship there. And notice again, everything else is about relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with the truth, our relationship with believers, and how do we sort non-believers, and how do we live in this world? It's all rooted in a relationship. Guys, the kingdom of God is nothing but a relationship with the king that God has made possible. It's what it is. I mean, for some of us to to make it anything else, we got to be careful because at the root of it, it is nothing but a relationship with the king. That's what it is. And that's who. Now let's look at the last one. Your kingdom what? Kingdom come. So let's ask the question, how then? If we're going to pray, Lord, may your kingdom come, then wouldn't it be good to know how it happens? How does it come? Like, what should we expect? Or are we just kind of praying something? Well, Jesus said to pray, so I'm just going to say it. No, if we, when we understand how it comes, then God can use us to be able to advance that kingdom even more. So how does it come? Well, first off, guys, this could be, I don't wanna get into this. I'm gonna throw two little terms out there that are catching a lot of, um, a lot of interest um, around this idea of Christian nationalism, all right? That just means, you know, there's a, listen, maybe for some of you, it's like, you don't care, but there are a lot of people who do, And it's really important to be able to at least, let me just give you a quick handle on that. Because when we say the word like Christian nationalism, there's a lot of pros and cons to that. And it's kind of, remember what I was talking about, the kingdom of God, there's a lot of wheat and weeds, and you can't tell the difference sometimes, right? Wheat and weeds look the same, and so you got to sort them out. And so Christian nationalism is nothing but this desire in this heart that every church or every, I'm sorry, every country, every country be one for the Lord. You know, there's some people who believe that Jesus will not return until every nation is Christian. Now, I'm not here to say that or not, because I think in a lot of gray areas, then we should just, we should just be careful to assume in gray in gray spaces and to you know declare things black and white when it looks gray. But guys, um, the, the the pro thing about Christian nationalism, or theonomy, that's a really a word there, is that it, it, we should pray that, uh, let's say America, we should pray for a Christian. America because a Christian America is one in which the gospel is making a difference in the lives of people And so a good form of na- of Christian nationalism is when it's it's an influence from the bottom up Right when God is doing a work a grassroots movement in the lives of people people are changing and because they're they are changing their actions their uh, their their um, How they're living where, where they're giving all of that stuff it makes a difference in a world and a Christian a nation can be Christian if there is a heavy Christian influence in there. So that's good, That's there's nothing wrong with that because listen guys, if you had a choice to live in a more Christian nation and in a more godless nation, which one are you gonna choose? I'm sorry, the Christian one, because when you look at the more Christian nations in the world, they tend to be the ones with the more rights and freedoms and prosperity. The ones that truly fully embrace a godless one tend to be um, dealing with a lot of poverty, injustice, murder, a lot of things. So listen, hands down, give me a Christian nation over any other religious nation because history proves that. History backs that up. But what we don't want is, what we would love to see is a Christian America, we don't want to see an Americanized Christianity. That's the, that's the other side. An Americanized Christianity is, is not in which the, that God's people are influencing the people in which they live, but it's in which the context, the culture, has infiltrated the church itself. And so listen, we can't be, we can't make a difference if we look like and act like and and think like all those things we don't want a christian we don't want an americanized church there's no life in that there's no life in that but when we speak of how does the kingdom come now i only bring that part up because it could it could literally go to the point of being a national imp, a national implications but the goal is not so much that the goal always has to be right in here in the heart And so when we look at how does the kingdom advance, that's the one right there I want you guys to understand. Because when you pray, may your kingdom come. I want you to know what you are asking for. And so how does the kingdom come? How does it advance? Well, I'm here to tell you, listen, the kingdom is a message, not a movement. Okay, you got to hear that. The kingdom is a message. It is not a movement. Those who view view it as only a movement tend to... um, tend to go a little too far and they try to force, you know, Christian laws and in and, and ways that are just um, kind of go out of bounds. I mean, I would love, again, Christian influence laws if if they line up truly with God's word. But again, it, like we've just discussed, a lot of things that are labeled Christian are, you know, it could be rough to figure that out at, at its core. And so you got to understand, guys, listen, the kingdom, what did I say the kingdom was? It's a relationship with the king, correct? The kingdom is a relationship with the king. And how is that relationship established? Through a message. How does the kingdom, how does the kingdom Jesus use? The kingdom of God is like this. It's someone who throws seeds, right? And what are seeds? But Jesus himself said, seeds are the word of God. The kingdom is advanced when the message of the king is advanced, when the gospel of the king is advanced. It, listen, it begins and it it takes root in your heart when you receive the seed of the truth of God here. It, It comes in us first. That's what it is. It has to come in us in order to come through us. The kingdom of God is a message that expands by revelation, not revolution. It's a message that it, it's a kingdom that advances by faith, not by force. By the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and not a sword of steel forged by human hands. Okay, that's what the kingdom is. It's a message of the king. In fact, uh, for those of you, if you and I, I love this, this is encouraging to me. Because there's a lot of times when I get confused and I say, wait, what is, what does this mean, Lord? And what, and, and I have more questions than I do answers, but sort of the apostles. And so that's, that makes me feel comfortable. You know, I don't know how you would feel, guys, but imagine you were with that crew. Jesus dies on the cross. You think it's over. They literally did. And then Jesus shows up later. And three days later, he's alive again. And they're convinced of like, oh my gosh, like. This guy is not just a figment of my imagination. You know, yeah, he walked through a wall right now, but dude's frying fish right now on the beach. Literally, that's what he did on the, the next weekend. And they're eating with him. They 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 can they can touch him. They can, they, you know, dude showing up out of nowhere. You know, like literally like like a parent, like a mom, just like you, you know, you're you're fine out of nowhere. There's mom, right? And so boom, there's Jesus. And so he just, they know this is real. And so right at the end, Acts chapter one, verse six, they actually said, So Jesus, all right? So man, we're ready. You know, you 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 rose from the dead. You, we we knew you were the Messiah, except for those three days we thought you were dead. No, my bad. Let's not talk about that. Okay, but okay, you're alive. Let's good now. And they say this. They say this things like, Jesus, are you now? Are you now going to establish the kingdom of Israel? Listen to the use the words they use. Are you going to do it now? Jesus doesn't necessarily answer that question, but he does. He says, listen, it's not up to you to know time and place for those things. The thing you need to know is that you will be given power from the Holy Spirit to be my faithful witnesses. So it was interesting because they said, are you going to do this now? In essence, his answer was not now, now, like fully. But you know what? You got a role to play in this starting now. You have a role to play in this starting now. And it is to carry on, and that's when he says, "Go into all the world and tell them what you have seen, and disciple those, and teach them all that you have seen. Go and know that I am going with you always." And so, what are they supposed to do, guys? They're supposed to go and what? Not start, you know. Uh, hey, I want you to go and make sure that you now run for office, and which is great for us to do. You know, he ultimately just says, "Hey, everybody does the same thing. Keep relaying this message." because the kingdom of God is advanced with the message. In fact, Jesus himself, there's this one parable that tripped me up for a minute. This is found in Matthew 13. Remember we just said that Jesus gave all of these like onslaught of parables that said this is the kingdom of God, this is the beginning of the kingdom, the opposition to the kingdom, and the final outcome. And then Jesus in Matthew 13 verses 51, he says, do you understand me? And they all said, yeah, yeah, we understand. Be careful when you say, all right, be careful. If you if you think God is asking you a question like that, say, like, you get it? Oh, yeah, I get it. Oh, watch out now. Watch out, because when they said, yep, we get it, I'm like, do you now? And then he said, I'll just read it to you. He says, okay, so if you get it, cool. Just so you know then, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. And he walks off. Okay, see, now I don't get it, right? And so, like, I, I thought I had it. I thought I understood it. And then he left them with this, huh? What does it mean? And here, he's trying to help us to understand how the kingdom advances. Because he, if you understand what we're up against, then what, in essence, what he says is this, if you are a, a teacher of the law, not just talking about pastors or anything like that, meaning if you want to communicate this message, he says, if you're a teacher who's a disciple, and a disciple is somebody who lives it, a teacher is somebody who learns, And lives and you got to bring out treasures old and new what he's trying to say is listen if you understand what's happening if you understand that the kingdom of God has been advancing this whole time and there's opposition to it you need to get into the fight and meaning you need to keep learning about the kingdom you need to apply it you need to live according to the kingdom and you need to lead others into the kingdom when he says that you take treasures new and old, the, he's speaking of this and like saying, listen, we take the ancient truths of God and we apply them to new contexts, but it's still the same truth. And so that's what he's saying is, listen, if you want, that's what the same thing he says in Acts 1.6. If we're going to advance the kingdom, then how does that advance? It advances in you and through you by the truth of God. As the truth forms you and it forms your actions and affections, And that is how it moves in us and through us, but to the point that we lead others into. Remember, guys, what did I say the kingdom of God is? It's a relationship with the who? With the king himself. I don't know if you've ever understood the Great Commission in this way, but the commission is what Jesus says. It's the mandate, the, the mandate of heaven. What the king says, now you go. You know, back then, if you had, I mean, even now till today, when an army would defeat another, they would send evangelists out. I mean, an evangelist is just nothing but a message carrier. And so they would go to town to town to let them know, hey, guys, just so you know, our king, maybe it's, hey, our king won. You know, we were, you know, being taken over. Our king won. Everything's okay. Or the evangelist would go from town to town and say, guys, we're under new management, okay? And so, yep, our king was taken over. Uh, it wasn't pretty. Uh, we got a new king now, all right? There's, we're, we're under new management. And that's what the evangelists would do. They would just take the message to everywhere in the country to let them know the result of the battle. And so what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? I need you to go out there and tell them that the devil has been defeated, that I overcame sin and death on the cross and through the grave. This is something that there are people out there that are lost that need to know. You go to them. You go take this message. So he says, go and disciple all nations, meaning help them to understand, evangelize, baptize them, which is really, you know, that they are converted, and then disciple them, help them to grow in that, teaching them all that I've seen. Oh, and by the way, I'm going with you. And this phrase, guys, to go is not just something that it's, it's a one-time event. To go is not, so, okay, well, uh, you know, it's a missionary who goes here. No, it's, it's actually a present progressive term. When Jesus says, listen, now, as you go throughout life, everywhere. So as long as your heart beats, you're going, right? That's it. As you go throughout life, enjoy, walk, I'm walking with you. Remember, he says, I'm going with you. And so this is a relationship that we get to have with the king, that as we go throughout life with this relationship with the king, we invite others into this relationship too. Guys, there's more room on the bus. Hop on. And I'm here to tell you that, guys, for those of us, if we're believers in Jesus, may we never lose the awe and wonder that we get to have an ongoing relationship with the king. And for some of you that if you're watching online or sitting in here, and if you wonder, well, I, you know, there's no way. Not me. There's not enough. Listen, there's always room at the table for one more. There's always room at the table. Uh, in Jesus' table, there's always room for one more. Always room. for And dude's a carpenter, so he knows how to make wood. He can make, and he can make some additions easy. All right? There is always room for one. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you've become. There is room for you. And the invitation is open to you, too. This is what it is. When we, so when we pray, may your kingdom come. It is really, Lord, may I continue to grow in this relationship with you. And may you use me to bring others into this relationship. Amen. That is what we pray when we pray. May your kingdom come. First where? In here. May your kingdom continue to grow and continue to advance in my heart that I may grow to love and to learn and to live with you to the point that, Lord, others can come into the family of God, into the kingdom realm. That is what we're called to do. Now, interesting, though, of these other two. Look at the first prayer that we just that Jesus said to pray, and look at this one: May Your name be honored as holy, and may Your kingdom come. Do you know what the first that, that first petition is concerned with? The first petition is concerned with the holiness of God. Lord, may your kingdom come. The first petition is concerned about his holiness. When we, pr- I'm sorry, may your name be honored as holy, is his holiness. Do you know what your kingdom come is concerned with? Ours. Our holiness. Guys, that is always a pattern inside of here in which God reveals himself and then we respond. I mean, how can you not look at the holy wonderful loving God and when for those of you I'm reminding you of who you is of who you who you is listen of who he is so you can know who you is there we go all right I want to remind you of who he is so you know who you are and so when I remind you and all I want to do is point you right now I'm just trying to put Jesus literally in front of you constantly saying look this is his king look what He has done to be a king he reigns supreme because he conquered sin and death and if you're a believer I just want to represent Jesus to you so that again you may desire to reflect him that is what when his kingdom is coming in your life how do you know when his kingdom is advancing in which I don't want to talk like that anymore because I want to honor the Lord I don't want to live like this anymore because I want to honor him because that he gave his life for me I don't want to do this these things anymore because he has grabbed my affections because of the actions that he did on the cross that is what we pray may your kingdom come may i continue to grow in this relationship with you may we all do this our response to your kingdom come is has nothing to do well actually let's say it this way may your name be honored as holy may your kingdom come all that we do is should be a response to all he's done If he has done it, that should influence more and more of what we do. In fact, I think I have a quote that I I forgot. I took it off here about um, Matt O'Reilly. Do I have that? There's a quote that I love. He says this. um, He says, our future, this is what discipleship looks like. This is what the kingdom of God advancing in your life looks like. It's when our future identity becomes more and more a part of a daily reality. Now, if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, you know who your future identity is? It is a holy Individual, Not because you are perfect and wonderful. It's because of what God is, is doing in you. So when I know you look at yourself in the mirror, and you may not look like what you see. You may not like what you see. Or maybe you can be a believer, and you can be like, oh, you know, all I see is my faults. All I see is how far I've come. Yeah, maybe I've come a long way, but I see I have so much more to go. You know, God doesn't see you if you're a believer in Christ the way you see yourself. He sees you now as how you will always be, covered in the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see your sin the way you do. When God forgave you of your sins, if you're a believer in Christ, he forgave of all of your sins, past, present, and future yet to come. He knew what he was doing. And so when he sees you, he sees you as you will be one day. And Jesus says, and God says, we will be, we will have glorified bodies. No more pain, no more sickness, no more aching, no more, you know, loss of hair, no more fill in the blank, right, all that stuff. No more indigestion, no more sickness, no more. We're going to have glorified bodies one day. But until we have that glorified body, our prayer should be, Lord, how can I glorify you with this body until I get that one? That is what his kingdom come looks like. It is one that says, Lord, I want to glorify you with this body until until we get the upgrade. All right. And, and it's not because he doesn't do this because we deserve it. He does it because he is worthy and generous and loving and kind. Again, who is this king? And so to his kingdom come, guys, is a phrase that I'm I'm liking to use now with our church. His kingdom comes in the way we love to learn about the king. And when we love to learn his ways and love to, to apply those, but it's not just learning to love, but it's loving to learn at the same time. When we love to learn about who he is, but we're also learning how to love, learning how to reflect the king as ambassadors of this very message. This is what it is. And it all comes down to, again, the kingdom of God is like, it's a relationship. In fact, uh, I told you, the parable the kingdom of God is God's going to sort out the few, the good fish, the bad fish, right? Really, those who believed in God and those who didn't. Jesus himself said, hey, there's going to be a sorting out. And you know what the qualifying, the qualifier is? I never knew you. Or for those that did know him. See, because, again, the kingdom of God is nothing but a relationship. And here's the thing, guys. See, Jesus is going to tell, get away from me, I never knew you, to people who knew him. They knew who Jesus was, but Jesus didn't know them. There was no relationship there. Guys, listen, do you really think God is going to allow a person to spend an eternity with him when they don't want to spend even two minutes with him on earth? It's not going to work. That doesn't work like that God's not going to allow people in to spend an eternity with him that could take they can't take two seconds to be with him on earth the kingdom of God is a relationship that is what it is do you know him does he know you that's really the question does Jesus know you because we all right now I've heard the name of Jesus so you guys all know the question you all know the answer, do you know who Jesus is? Yeah, I know who he is, but does it, does it matter? What matters is, is, does he know you? I heard it recently, somebody said this, imagine you were in jail in another country and then the president shows up, right? And the president is there and you say, hey, I know the president, I know the president, let me out of here, I know the president. Is that enough for you to say, I know the president? Is the, are they gonna, oh, oh, you know the president? My bad, all right, yeah, why don't you here, let's get, pack up your stuff, you can go. Cause you know the president, that's enough. But what if the president showed up and says, oh, hey, wait a minute. I know, Tito. Get him out of there. Are they going to listen now? They're going to listen. Because what matters? What mattered more? That I knew who the president was or that the president knew who I was? The president knows who you are. And, guys, the king knows his own. And those he, he knows, those who he knows are those who have said, Lord, I know. You are a holy God. I have sinned against you. I am not perfect in any which way, and I don't deserve any of this. A believer is someone, a true believer is not one that speaks like like we say in the first person. Well, I believe because I am. No, it's because of what he has done, who he is, and what he has done. So I want to challenge you guys here. When we pray, may your kingdom come. That is a glorious prayer. That is a better prayer than maybe some of us or you ever imagine? But I want to challenge you, do not settle for the sandcastles of this world when God is offering you to be a part of his kingdom. Do not settle for sandcastles when he says you can be a part of my kingdom. You can have that life-giving relationship. And what did Jesus say about that mental health at the very beginning? Seek first the kingdom. How do you seek the kingdom? Seek the king. You seek the king. And all of the other things, and all of the struggles, and all, he will carry you through that because he is a kind king. He will carry you through all of those things. And Jesus's first sermon, I'm gonna tell you Jesus' first sermon in two minutes, because not even two seconds. His first sermon out of his mouth was: repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know what that means? The kingdom of God is at hand means it's at your fingertips all you have to do is reach out because the king is extending his hand the king is reaching out to you all you have to do is reach out and respond and grab a hold guys the same nail scarred hands of christ are still reaching out to each and every one of us reach out by faith and grab a hold of that hand grab a hold of that hand that is all that you need to do because listen He is the king, and the king was dead, but the king rose again the next day. Long live the king, and long live the king who lives in us. And if you have Christ, you found life. The kingdom of God, guys, is a prayer that is both rooted in the past, present, and future. And we're going to end with this. When you pray your kingdom come, you pray this, Lord, I pray that I may grow in that relationship with you. Because that's what God wants. He wants you to grow in that relationship with him. Lord, may may your kingdom come, meaning may I grow in that relationship with you and may it continue to affect in all that I do. But it is also a prayer, Lord, may your kingdom come to those that don't. May your kingdom come to those that have yet to hear the good news. May your kingdom come to those that need to know what you have done for them, that despite what they have done, Lord, there is forgiveness in life in your name. That is what we pray when we pray, your kingdom come.